Well, good morning. My name is Michael Powelke. I'm the pastor. No, I'm not the pastor. I used to be a pastor. I'm the president of Briarcrest College and Seminary. A little bit of a, a slip there. And I'm just really happy to be with you uh, again. I've uh, joined you other occasions. Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity to continue on in your series on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we want to look at the whole theme of forgiveness this morning. But before we do, I want to take you to a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of fun here as we consider those awkward family photos. So take a look at this here. And uh, ladies, I'm told that perms are coming back. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the case, but uh, there's clearly, uh, these two are from the same genetic pool. Uh, take a look at this next one. Now this one concerns me because mom was not in the picture in the next year, so... Uh, but what really concerns me is dad here is a, look at the clerical color, he's a pastor. Let's look at this next one. Okay, now look closely here. This is Brad and Donna Wilms. And that's Alicia there, and Steve was having a bad hair day, so he couldn't be in the picture. So there's a bit of an 80s fun for you. Let's look at this next picture. Now look at this little guy to the, to the side. It feels like he doesn't belong. Poor little guys. He saw this picture growing up. I'm sure he felt some alienation and some separation. Let's go to this next one, Bethany. Now, look at this one. One of these things does not belong. Look carefully. I know. I felt the same way. Why is the cat in that picture? I, I, I don't understand. Well, it's good to have a little bit of fun. But, but let me invite you into reflection there because there are times when um, we feel like we don't fit in the picture. There are times like we feel we don't connect. And maybe we're in a social setting. And, and maybe we're in a crowd of people of a particular ethnicity. Or we're in a crowd of people of, of a particular educational level. Or, or a crowd of people who are of a particular profession. Or we're with a, a, a group of people who are more wealthy than others. Whatever. We're in a setting where we feel somehow one of these things just doesn't belong. And, and we feel the sense of alienation, the sense of isolation this sense of, of being unwelcome. Maybe it's, maybe it's placed on us or maybe we just feel that ourselves. But there are times when we feel that kind of dis, that dissonance, that disconnection, that sense of, of alienation. This morning I want to take us to an episode in the life of Jesus. An episode where there was a woman there who knew she didn't belong. And the host knew she didn't belong. In fact, everybody in the room knew that she did not belong there, except, of course, Jesus, who welcomes, thankfully, every one of us into his orbit and into his love. And so I want to take you to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6. So turn with me to Luke chapter 6, and let's, let's look at this episode in the life of Jesus, starting to read at verse 36. And this is how this story unfolds. One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, of course, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him, at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of a woman this is who's touching him. For she is a sinner. 
And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. Now let's talk a little bit about this passage. Let's understand what's going on. Certainly a Pharisee, we, we, we know, was a, a highly respected individual. I know if we've been followers of, of Jesus and, and engaging in this book, we, we see the Pharisees with clouded lens. But at this time, Pharisees were highly regarded, highly respected. In fact, if we had a, a cultural equivalent, this would be a cross between a, a clergyman and a lawyer. So highly respected, in fact, in some measure, feared. And here he's invited Jesus to his home. Now, as we read the Gospels, a tension has been brewing. A tension has been building with the Pharisees between Jesus and these religious leaders. And so Simon invites Jesus to his home for this open house. Likely, we're not told this, but likely he was setting Jesus up. Likely he was hoping to trap Jesus in some sort of awkward situation. So he's invited Jesus, and here this has become sort of an open house. This really wasn't that uncommon. In fact, likely the Pharisee had a larger residence, a larger home, and it was very common to have visiting rabbis, guest rabbis coming to speak and provide a lecture, give a presentation. And then people from the community would be uninvited, but they would come and they would gather in this, in this uh, host's home to listen to the presentation, to listen to the lecture from this guest rabbi. And so one of the people that came was this woman of the city, this sinner. And we're told in the passage that she learned that Jesus would be reclining a table with this Pharisee. He would be having a meal with him. So clearly this woman has been tracking with Jesus. She's been listening to Jesus' message. She's been following him, and she's been impacted by the message that he has delivered, the message that has touched her life. And so there... At this open house, she lets down her hair and is just overwhelmed with gratitude and she's worshiping Jesus. And she's wiping his feet with her tears and with her hair. And she's poured out of an alabaster flask ointment, perfume, likely at great cost. And she's worshiping Jesus. And, and Simon, this Pharisee, is incredulous. He's saying, this this." prophet has no clue who this is. Does he not know that this is a woman of the city, a sinner? Implication, a prostitute. She's touching him. She would be unclean, and now that she's touched Jesus, Jesus would be unclean. Has this man no clue? Has he no, no, no sense of protocol? And he's just incredible. He's just amazed. He's just he's beside himself. And Jesus, while this is all happening by this woman who, in fact, was a woman of scandalous reputation, we know this from not only Simon's description and not only the description by the text, but also because of what she's done. Because, you see, for a little girl to have her hair free was very common. But when a woman became an adult, when she was married, her hair would now be bound up. And the only person who would see her hair unbound would be her husband. The only exception to that, of course, would be prostitutes. And here this woman in public had released her hair and was worshiping Jesus. And so Jesus, he knows what's, what's going on in Simon's mind. And so he says, Simon, I have a question for you. That's something I want to tell you. And Simon says, go for it. 
So Jesus gives him a story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more, he asks of Simon. And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, now, you need to visualize this. Jesus is reclining at a table, sort of a, 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 almost a lounger, if you will. He's leaning on one elbow, and that's the way he ate. And the woman is at his feet. And so he's looking at the woman. His gaze is fixed on the woman. But he's talking to Simon. So picture this. And he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so here Jesus tells this story to Simon about two individuals who owed a significant sum of money. One owed two years' wage to this lender, and the other owed two months' wage. And Jesus asks Simon, so which one do you think is going to be more appreciative? Which one's going to be more grateful? Which one's going to love the lender more? And Simon correctly says, well, likely the one who's been forgiven more. And Jesus says, you got it. Where there's great forgiveness, there is great love. So what's the point here? The point here is here is this woman who is now free. Free in her forgiveness. Because she, she, she now was loving, and she wasn't loving in order to be forgiven. She was loving because she was forgiven. Because she had embraced and accepted the grace that had been given to her by Christ and his message. And so because she recognized the gravity and extent of her brokenness before God, she was so deeply grateful and deeply loving. And now she was worshiping and she was sacrificing and she cast off all social restraints, let down her hair, and she was crying over Jesus' feet. Not tears of regret or grief, but tears of joy and gladness and celebration and, and, and deep appreciation and love and devotion. Here was a woman who was in bondage. Really? She was in bondage and was now free. Now think about this. Slavery. Slavery is a real thing in our world. I just was reading a BBC article last week about a family business where a family were, were extracting humans from Slovakia to Leeds. And it was an underground business they had trafficking human beings. Slavery continues in our world today. At present, it is estimated that the trafficking of humans for 
cheap labor is a $99 billion a year business. That is more than what Apple makes. It is huge. Now, here in this relatively safe and insulated world, and I know it's not perfect, but it's relatively safe and insulated, when you look at the grand scheme of what's going on our, on our globe, we may not fully appreciate that, but it's estimated that 25 million people are presently involved in human trafficking. They're victims of human trafficking. And of that number, half are women and children involved in the sex trade. No, slavery is very present. Now, even though we may not connect quite as emotively with that reality in our world, here's something that some of us will connect with. Slavery also touches us at a level of vices and addictions, right? Alcohol, drugs, prescription medication, food, gambling, sex, even our own craving for an adrenaline buzz. These things can enslave us. And even more specifically, we can become slaves. We can find ourselves in bondage to guilt, to anger, to bitterness and resentment. And we find ourselves incapable of moving forward. In fact, what we are in bondage to is the past. Because we can't leave that traumatic experience, that painful experience, either one we precipitated, either one we created and hurt somebody by, or whereby we were hurt and we were impacted. We can't let go. And we're enslaved. We're in bondage to that, that emotional grip on us. And as we read this story, we find this woman found freedom from this kind of enslavement. See, we have abused and abused, and we've been hurt, and we have hurt others. Now, in this episode, Jesus teases this out with Simon, trying to help him see the point of this story by using, using a story about financial indebtedness. When you look at the five words that are translated sin in the New Testament, this is, this, this is fascinating. There are five words that New Testament writers could have used. One of those words for sin is the word debt. Another word that's often translated as sin is the word trespass, which speaks of slipping up or tripping up. It's sort of a somewhat more unintentional, but you've still slipped up and slipped into sin. A third word that's used is harmartia. This is the, the idea of falling short of the mark, coming short of the mark. And this is Romans 3, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. A fourth word is the word that was often translated transgression. And this has the idea of crossing the line with some level of intentionality. And the last one is the word that's usually translated lawless, which has a more specific rebellion towards God. See, these last two are, 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 are intentional, calculated rebellious acts and decisions under God. But all five, all five are sinful. Here, Jesus uses this image of debt. In Matthew chapter 6, where he gives us the Lord's Prayer, and he invites us to pray this way, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It is the same word, debt. 
Why? Because debt is a sin, and sin is a debt. Sin is a debt in that it is something that overwhelms us, and, and, and something that holds us back, and something that we can't pay off. That, that's the nature of sin. It is a debt that cannot be paid off. And so God extends to us this offer of forgiveness, of forgiveness in him and because of what he's done for us. And so here, in this passage, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, pray this way, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How do we make that a reality? How do we find freedom from our sin? How do we find freedom from our guilt? How do we find the freedom to forgive others? Let me offer you three extremely simple but profoundly influential truths that grow out of this. And the first one is simply the obvious, seek forgiveness. Ask for it. Ask for it. First John 1 John 1.9 says, when, when, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that word confess, what does it mean to confess? We, we kind of have an understanding of what it means to confess, but literally it means to agree with God. That's the etymology of those words. When we, when we confess, we are, we're saying, God, I have been wrong. I've been out of line. I've been a fool in my decisions and in my behavior. You are right. And we are siding with God and acknowledging our brokenness. And when we confess, he forgives. Psalm 38, verse 18 says this, I confess my iniquity and I am troubled in my sin because there was a recognition by the psalmist here that the one that he had really hurt ultimately was God. But he also had impacted his world because we never sin in isolation and he hurt himself. And he recognized the gravity of this. Now, when we confess, when we confess, we are agreeing with God. And when we are forgiven, God is extending his grace towards us. That's what forgiveness means. But the most dominantly used word for forgive is a word that simply means to release, to let go, or literally to send away. That's what happens when we confess. When we confess and when we seek forgiveness and God extends forgiveness to us, we are sending away our sin. And so seek forgiveness. Now let me drill that down just a little bit more. Sometimes we use the word sorry. Sorry is a great word. Canadians are great for using the word sorry, aren't we? Sorry is probably better than saying nothing at all. But sorry doesn't communicate the full gravity of what's in view here. And so let's say I come home from work and I am rude and I am obnoxious and I'm insensitive to my wife. And the next morning, I sort of recognized how rude and selfish I was and I say to my wife, honey, yesterday, um, sorry. Well, it's good that I said sorry, better than not to have said anything at all. But that really doesn't carry the full force of what confession and seeking forgiveness means. But if I were to say to my wife, because she, she might be thinking, well, what are, you, what are you sorry for? Are you sorry that, that you had a bad day and the boss was hard on you? Are you, are you sorry that, that 
that somebody cut you off at work? Is that what you're sorry for and that put you off uh, on the way home? Are you sorry that you came home and the kids were, were in a crazy mood and are you sorry for them? Are you sorry that, are you, are sorry that they're turkeys? Are you sorry that you married a turkey? Are you, what are you sorry for? But when I say, honey, yesterday when I came home, I, I had had a bad day, but that's no, that's no excuse. I was rude. I was insensitive. I was selfish. I was obnoxious. I own that. Would you, would you forgive me? Well, that's communicating a fuller sense of gravity uh, of what confession really means. You're owning it and you're agreeing with God or with that person that you have failed, that you have sinned, that you've hurt them. So seek forgiveness. Now, certainly implied in the text, and this is the second one, accept forgiveness. Because sometimes we, we don't want to accept forgiveness because, because the nature of forgiveness is that justice has to be paid. Forgiveness is deeply theological because forgiveness requires that satisfaction for wrongdoing somehow be established, that there's some sort of substitute and there's some sort of atonement, there's some sort of satisfaction, which is exactly what Christ did on the cross. This is the essence of our faith. Our trust is in who Jesus is and what he did first on the cross because on the cross there he paid our debt. So when we confess and God extends forgiveness to us, we accept it because satisfaction and atonement has been paid. But sometimes we're not prepared to accept that we want to berate ourselves and beat ourselves up. Now, we mess up and we all mess up. We all mess up bad sometimes. We confess and we accept it. But there's one more principle I want to talk about, and that is granting forgiveness. Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Jesus links these. They're inseparable. They're connected because Jesus' whole intention, his whole aspiration, his whole hope is that when we look in the mirror and we recognize the gravity of our own depravity, when we recognize our own capacity for sin, and we recognize the hurt that we've caused, that we then, after having experienced forgiveness, can turn around and extend that same grace to somebody else. That same sense of forgiveness to somebody else. And so Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because this is what it means to be Christ-like and God-like. As we've been forgiven, we forgive others. Now, let me just say, this isn't easy. It's not easy. When someone has hurt us, it impacts us. And if we don't move on, we find ourselves again in bondage to that event, that past. And it anchors us. It holds us back. Now, sometimes we're hurt deeply by a stranger, by the events of others. But the most difficult sins to forgive are those which are dealt out to us by somebody we know. Let me take you to the episode where Peter, who's been listening to Jesus, asks Jesus a question. He says, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Matthew 18. Up to seven times? Thinking, well, I'm going to be really gracious. Seven times, not just once or two or three times. 
Seven? And you know Jesus' answer. No, not seven, but 70 times seven. The point of that story, which we usually gravitate to, is the limitless of our forgiveness. It's not 490. The point is obviously an exaggeration. The point is that we keep on forgiving because God keeps on lavishing his grace on us. But I want you to notice something else in that story. It's noteworthy that Peter says, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Because Peter knew and Jesus knew the hardest person to forgive is somebody who knows us with somebody of with whom we have a relationship. You see, forgiveness always requires that somebody pays a price. It is never easy. It always deeply impacts us. And when we forgive, we're acknowledging that somebody got hurt in this. And it was me. And I paid a price for that sinful action. Listen to what Archibald Hart says. Archibald Hart says this. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. It it is relinquishing the need for punishment because you're absorbing the punishment. Neil Anderson says forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sins. You see, that's what forgiveness is always substitutionary. On the grand scheme, Christ took our sins. And when people sin against us, In many ways, we're absorbing their sin. But we're choosing to forgive, to send it away, to release because we've been forgiven. That's not easy. That's that's not easy. I came to grips with this very young in my faith journey. And of course, I've had to visit many times because we're often hurt, right? But very early in my faith journey, I came to to Christ, I became a Christ follower, and I crossed that line of faith when I was a, a young person, a young teen, from a little Gideon Bible that had been given in elementary school. And my parents were going through a very destructive, turbulent ending to their marriage. And through that whole circumstance, I dug out this little New Testament that I'd been given, and I started reading it, and I put my faith in Christ. And I kept reading that little Bible every day, and I found a church. And I'm no discipleship, at least at this stage of my life, but I'm just trying to figure this all out. And when my parents split up, the home that I grew up in was full of tension and animosity and hostility. And my father was a very harsh man, a very abusive man. And so frankly, when my parents split up, there was a measure of grief but there was also a measure of relief. Now, my father was a European man, a German man, and German fathers don't pursue their children. Children pursue their fathers, right? That's what it's supposed to be. And so in those early days of that separation, I would call my father and say, can I come and visit you? Yes, of course, you can. You know, I'm waiting for your call. And I'd go see him on a frequent basis. But that was getting hard for me. And there was a season there in my teen years where a month turned into six months. And six months turned into a year. And a year turned into two years. And I was, I was avoiding all kinds of potential conflict with my father because I just wasn't seeing him. Because I had resentment. I had bitterness. I had anger inside my life. And yet here as a young follower of Christ, I'm grappling with these kinds of passages and although I didn't f- fully understand what was going on inside of me, 
I knew that I had to forgive my father for what he had done. And so around the two-year mark, I called him. I said, Dad, can I come see you? Some of you have done some horrible things that you have deep regrets over, and you are berating yourself, you are beating yourself up, you, are, you, are, you, are, you have imprisoned yourself, and you need to seek and find forgiveness, and it's there for you. It's there for every one of us. Freedom from that bondage from the past, free for a future. Others of us here in this room, we're, we're, we're held captive and we're in bondage to an experience, to words said, behaviors acted upon us, and we are now in a bondage of bitterness and resentment and hurt and pain. And we need to release that. And we need to send it away because of what Jesus did for us. Some of you have been hurt by leaders. Some of you have been hurt by parents. Some of you are leaders who have been hurt by followers. We've all been hurt. And those can become anchors. Those can become shackles that bind us and place us in a bondage, in an enslavement that won't let us go. Bondage to our past. Bondage that keeps us from moving forward and enjoying the abundance that has been promised to us. So this morning, seek forgiveness. Accept forgiveness. Grant forgiveness. That was Jesus' invitation when he said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So I'm, I want to make this very practical this morning. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And, and as a corporate body, yes, but also as an individual, I want you to commune with the living God. Psalm 103, verse 11 says this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is what God does to our sins. He sends them away as far as the east is from the west. Jesus taught us to pray, and he invited us, he commanded us, he, he, he woos us with this wonderful promise. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sinned against us and become debtors towards us. Father in heaven, where we have hurt you and where we have hurt others, we confess, we grieve, we wish it weren't so, but we confess and we agree with you and we ask you to forgive us. Grant us the faith that believes you will forgive us. And Father, for those of us in this room who have been dealt some terrible blows, and we've been hurt. And those hurts have deeply impacted us and scarred us. Would you help us to forgive even as Christ forgave us? So help us to look in the mirror 
not with smug self-righteousness, but with humility and recognize the extent of your grace in forgiving us. Help us in like manner to forgive others. Help us to embrace the wonderful hope of this promise. For we pray it in Jesus' name and because of what he's done for us on the cross. Amen.